Well, good morning, Elevation Church. How are you guys doing today? Yeah? Everybody doing all right? It's funny, man. It, it gets summertime, and, and the crowd thins out. People go on vacation and do all of these things. And yet, when I look out here, I see new faces. I see smiling faces. Jim, you know, spends the morning trying to get us to sing loud, to wake up so that we can hear what God has to say. I think you guys kind of caught your gear, you know, on the, that second or third song, maybe kind of got your, got your groove on. And everybody looks like they're engaged and ready to rock this morning. So I just wanted to say, welcome Elevation Church. I'm glad you're here. You're not uh, welcome to Elevation Church because this is not Elevation Church. This is Studio B. It's a great room. It's a great building. It's a place that we've been blessed to be able to gather and to celebrate and to worship God. But you are Elevation Church. You are the local church. The building is not. And so I just want to welcome you, Elevation Church, this morning to hear what God has to say. When I was preparing for this weekend, I looked at the calendar and just noticed um, there was a day circled in like red, white, and blue and all of this a couple of days from now, the 4th of July, just happens to be a big uh, holiday in this country. It's a holiday that I really enjoy celebrating. My family likes fireworks. Trina is a big fan of the firework. So our family, by, you know, nature of that, loves fireworks. And I was raised very patriotic and, and you know, love this country and, you know, Boy Scouts and, and the military and stand at attention and salute the flag when the Pledge of Allegiance is sung or played and all of those things. And so the 4th of July is a big, big deal to my family. And I know it is for probably most of you and your families as well, because it's a big deal really for most of our country. And so as I thought about the 4th of July and thought about uh, Independence Day, what that stands for, what it means, it, it made me think about what Jim has already alluded to this morning, and that is our dependence on God. And so we're going to invest some time today talking about uh, living in dependence. Instead of celebrating independence, we want to learn how to live in dependence on God. So this Wednesday will be the 236th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Isn't that crazy? 236 years ago, 56 very bold, very brave men took up a quill, dipped it in ink, and signed their names on the document that literally changed the world, changed history. The world has never been the same for the last 236 years because of those 56 brave men and the ideal of independence that they were in pursuit of. These 56 brave men who dipped that quill, who signed their names, those 56 men and several thousand others like them over the course of the next few years fought for that ideal of independence and many of them lost their lives they lost loved ones and lost everything that they had in pursuit of independence. But in the end, I think we would all agree that what they gained was worth what they gave up. Because 236 years later, we still as a nation live independent of the tyranny and of the, the oppression and all of the, the things that these men were really rebelling against back then, 236 years ago. We have been an independent nation, independent of any other country, any other king, any other government 
imposing its will or its rules or its laws on us for all of that period of time. And I think because of that independence that we have as a nation, the people of this nation have idealized independence overall. If you look around our country, if you look at our culture, we celebrate independent operators. We like SEAL Team 6 kind of guys, guys that go out there and do their thing under the cover of darkness, no team to support. One or two or three guys maybe operating independently but loosely coordinated. We celebrate the people who live out there on that ragged edge, who tempt fate, who live dangerous lives independent of whatever. I, I, I think about television shows that I like. One of the most popular shows on TV over the last decade has been The Deadliest Catch. Raise your hand. That's right. About half the room, y'all are sucked into it just like me, right? Why do we love the deadliest catch? Because Sig and, and all of those guys, those captains and those mates and those deckhands, they live out there on a ship smaller than a football field for months at a time in the midst of one of the most dangerous environments on earth. Rugged individualists, independent. Help is Hundreds of miles and hours and hours away if something goes wrong. And we love it. We love those independent operators. And we oftentimes try to emulate that in our own lives because it's celebrated in our country and in our culture. We have idealized it. We have romanticized it. We have made it this ideal scenario. It's part of the American dream, part and parcel. We want to be individuals. We want to be independent, self-reliant people. But while it has become an American ideal, I think it is worth investigating whether or not it is a biblical deal. Is it part of what God set up for us when he created us, set all of this life, this world, his plan into motion? Are we supposed to live as independent operators, lone rangers out there doing life on our own, tempting fate, doing all of these things, self-reliant? If I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps, then it's you, you, tough luck, man. I'm just going to have to figure it out. Is, is that the life God called us to? When I thought about how to investigate that biblically, there was a man from the Old Testament who popped into my head. Because when I thought about this man, looking at him from the outside, investigating his life, seeing the surface, maybe not thinking about the details and the behind-the-scenes stuff, but just looking at what was apparent, he looked like he could have been like Captain Jonathan Hillstrand on the Time Bandit, or he could have been like a member of SEAL Team 6. He could have been one of those independent operators. He was a rugged individualist if you looked from the outside without seeing below the surface. This guy looked like he could have been one of those independent operators. As a young boy, the guy that I have in mind did some amazing things. He was a shepherd. He tended his father's sheep. He took the flock out into the wilderness. And when he was in the wilderness, all by himself with a bunch of sheep, our boy had to fight lions and bears. Now, can you imagine if your father sent you out into a job, into a profession at maybe 10 or 12 years old, and you had to fight lions and bears. 
Now, I know your dad had to fight a bear every day on his way to school, walking uphill in the snow with nothing but a loose-leaf notebook. I know that happened with your dad. But what if your dad sent you to go do that? What would CPS do to us today? Right? I mean, but that's the way it was back then. Our boy fought off lions. I mean, he had to take out lions and bears as a young man. As he got older, our man found himself standing face to face with a giant, a man probably double or triple his proportions. This giant had held off the whole Israelite army with nothing more than his words. And our guy steps out onto the battlefield with nothing but a smooth stone and a sling and takes out the giant. This is a guy who fought many battles, fought many wars. He was a conqueror. He was a king. He led a, an individual army, his own private security force of mercenaries, other individual operators, rugged individualists, independent types that he formed into such a mighty force they became known as the mighty men. I'm talking, as you have already figured out, about King David. King David, on the surface, would have been an ideal American, an independent operator, a guy who could get things done, a guy who had it all going on. He lived out on that rugged, ragged edge, tempting fate and challenging himself through this life. David was also a very prolific writer. He wrote most of the book of Psalms and wrote a lot of other stuff and I looked in Psalms and was looking for some things about David's thoughts on dependence and independence, and I found Psalm 62. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 62. If you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 62 is almost right in the center of your Bible, unless you have one of those with a whole bunch of notes and extra pages in the back. I got one that's pretty straightforward that I preach from, and so it's almost in the exact center of my Bible. But while you're turning looking for Psalm 62. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. And this was a psalm that David wrote as an adult. He was already the king. He had been through a bunch of stuff. And he's the king of Israel. And he writes this psalm. And let's see what David says in Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. He says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. God is our refuge. David that rugged individualist, that guy that, that looks like he could be the American ideal man. Does he sound like a man who lives independently? Or does he sound in his writings like a man who lives in dependence? In dependence on God. David wrote here, he says that he is dependent on God for rest. He's dependent on God for stability. He's dependent on God for salvation. He's dependent on God for his hopes. He's dependent on God for all of these things. All of these, these critical things that you would think that rugged individualist, that independent operator would be taking care of on his own, pulling up his bootstraps and himself along with. 
But David said, no, he is in dependence, in dependence on God. How about you this morning? Are you more of the independent operator pursuing that American dream, trying to live the rugged individualist lifestyle? You want to be like a mountain man or a cowboy or, you know, some kind of idealized, romanticized vision of what independence looks like? Or are you living like David, not pursuing independence, but living in dependence? When David writes about living independence on God, he, he pointed out those four areas I mentioned a moment ago, and I want to break those down for a moment, have you and I both kind of do a self-assessment on where are we in this whole independence thing, because David was described by God himself as a man who is after God's own heart. So if David is living independence, and God says he is a man after God's own heart, maybe what David is doing is something that you and I should emulate, something that we should do. Maybe we should follow David in the way that David followed God. Because if we follow David's example the way that David followed God, would we not then be following God's plan for us as well? So let's check out what David was doing when he said that he lived in dependence on God. Independence for rest. King David lived, I would imagine, a very fast-paced, intense kind of a lifestyle. Independent operators kind of do that sometimes. But leaders live like that too. And King David was, by all accounts, an incredible leader. King David was an amazing leader. And at the time he wrote this, King David was king. And so you think about what it took, even in the ancient world, to operate a kingdom. He was a governor. He was a, a husband and a father. He was a husband more than one time. I'm not recommending that we follow him in that pursuit, in case you read David's story or know that about him already. That would not be part of God's plan. But he was a husband and a father many times over. So he had a lot of family commitments. King David had responsibilities to his people, to his kingdom. They relied on him. They counted on him to lead them, to lead their kingdom, to protect their nation. This was an independent, sovereign nation. It was a power to be reckoned with in this time. The nation of Israel was not to be trifled with. King David was, was a bad-to-the-bone military leader. He had military campaigns that he planned. He had defenses that he had set up. He had strategies that were being executed. He had the government. He had his family. He had his own life. He had all of this stuff going on. And when I think about David's life, I think for the ancient world, it probably resembled more like what we live with in modernity today, what we live with in our lives, and that's that fast-paced, breakneck, hardcore, throttle-to-the-floor lifestyle. Don't raise your hand, but if you can identify with that, you know exactly what David's life looked like. And I think most of us today live that kind of frenetic life. David needed rest. You need rest. God wired us for rest. We can't live that fast-paced, breakneck life without stopping down and resting You've got to have rest. And David relied on God. David depended on God for his rest. Who do you depend on? What do you run to? 
when it's time to rest. When you know at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, at the beginning of the day, that your breakneck life requires rest and you've got to unplug from that for a moment, for a time, and plug in to the fuel source, the energy source. What do you plug into? I think for a lot of us, I, 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 I'll just be honest, I'm gonna confess this for myself. It may be you, it may not be. I go home, I like the right side of my couch. Okay, I've got a leather couch in my living room and it's got really, I mean, it's just nice. We've had it for about 10 years. It's well broken in. And the right side has, let's just call it my groove in the seat, okay? It's got my groove. I can sit down in that and it fits me like a glove. And I have this little thing that sits on the um, armrest. It's black and it's long. It has a bunch of colored buttons on it. And, and I find rest when I pick it up and start pushing buttons. And this box lights up in front of me and entertains me. That's where I run to a lot of times for rest. And I realized that this last week because as we entered into the 52-day challenge last week where we were fasting, my family fasted from television. And I realized, I always say, oh, I don't watch that much TV. I realized how much TV I watch when I spend a week not watching TV. Had the best prayer week of my life this week. I'm telling you, it was awesome. I may unplug the cable box, but don't tell my kids. I don't need that rebellion right now. I find rest sometimes in the television. I'll bet you do too. What other things do we run to for rest? Some of you run home at the end of the day and you can't wait for an adult beverage, right? You can't wait. That's how you unplug, unwind, decompress. You have a beer or two, a Chardonnay or two. And ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. It is not biblically incorrect. What is biblically incorrect about alcohol is when you put it in God's place. And if you're running to alcohol as your source of rest, you've placed it in God's position. And now you've got a problem. Maybe some of you like to travel. Trina and I love to travel with three kids. We don't get to do as much as we like, but we still get away as often as we can. Sometimes it's a weekend getaway. Sometimes we go places with friends. Sometimes we go places with family. Sometimes it's a long vacation. Maybe you travel for rest too. I don't know. Where do you run when you rest? And what's going to happen when that place, that thing that you run to for rest is no longer there? What happens when you can't watch TV because you just don't have the time? You've got three kids and a marriage. You've got a job that's amped up. Maybe you just make a decision that you can't run to the TV anymore. Where do you run? What happens when the adult beverage, the one or two, becomes 10 or 12? And you no longer have rest. You have an addiction. The alcohol doesn't give you rest. In fact, it has you arrested. Maybe not by the law, but that is an option. But it simply got you locked up in addiction. What happens then? Where do you get rest? Because what you thought was, was pouring back into you and energizing you, which is what the rest of God does, it's now sucking out of you and leaving you empty. What happens when you can't afford to travel anymore? Where do you find your rest? David knew all of these things could happen. David had been penniless and homeless. He had been friendless. He had had every opportunity of rest taken away where only God was left. And by the time he wrote Psalm 62, I think David had it figured out. He could only find real rest, independence 
on God. David rested in God. David says here also in verse 5, my hope comes from him. My hope comes from him. David, David depended on God for hope. For all of the hopes that he had for himself, for all of the hopes he had for his family, all of the hopes and dreams that he had for the nation of Israel, his country. He knew he couldn't hope in himself. He could not rely on himself to make those hopes, those dreams come true. He had to live in dependence on God for his hopes. I think about who we hope in today. Some of us that are parents hope that the schools will raise our children to be good citizens and good people. Have you checked the progress on that? The track record of the school system is not that great. Now, some of you are teachers, and I love you, and I thank you. My mom is sitting back here. My mom worked in the school system for like 30 years. My grandfather was the assistant superintendent of schools. I'm not knocking schools, and I'm not knocking teachers. I'm just saying, if you had your hopes for your children tied up in the school, doing what you hope it will do, your hope might be misplaced. Some of us hope that the government will take care of our dreams, will take care of our plans, will, will bring us the hope that we want. Some politicians like to use the word hope in their slogans, and it's not new in this campaign or the one before. It's been going on for you. Hope. It's all about hope. Well, if you place your hope in the government or in politicians, maybe you've noticed over the course of history, politicians lie. I'm just saying. They do. They're people like you and me. They're fallible. And their best laid plans are pretty poor at best. See, we can't hope in any person. We can't hope in anything. We can't hope in any entity other than God because God's plan is perfect. God's love never fails. God's plan never fails. It never comes up short. It never leaves you wanting more. If your hopes are pinned to him, as David's hopes were pinned to him, God has a promise for all of us. See, David hoped in God and God answered his hope in Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that's often quoted and used in, in messages and preaching. It says, I know the plans that I have for you. These are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So if your hopes for yourself, for your company, for your business, if your hopes for your children, for your family, for your marriage, if your hopes for this nation that we love and celebrate are pinned to anything or anyone other than God, you are hoping in vain. I was taught as a kid, if you hope in one hand and put rocks in the other, you can see which one fills up faster, right? Hope in God. Don't hope in anything or anyone else. Be dependent as David was dependent on God for his hopes. David also said that God was his rock, his foundation. When I think about rock in terms of scripture, I always think about a fisherman named Simon. Whenever somebody uses the word rock in scripture, wherever I read that, Old Testament, New Testament, I instantly think about 
Jesus encountering this fisherman named Simon, and he changed Simon's name. And I used to wonder as a kid, why? Why did Jesus have to change people's names? That's got to mess a dude up, man. I've been living for years with this name. Why you got to call me something else? Were mom and dad not good at naming? I, mean, I don't get it. And then I learned somewhere along the way, somebody taught me that when he named Simon Peter, why? Well, because Peter means rock. Peter means rock. And then Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. The rock was the foundation that they built on. And when I see here, David says that truly he is my rock. I think David is telling us that God is the foundation that everything else has to be built on. If we're building on anything other than God, I think we are building in vain. And we, I mean, building what? Building life. I mean, if you lived on the West Coast, I know we have some folks that are here that have lived in California before. Do you not want to be sure that your house, your building that you live in, work in, was built really well, especially if you live in that northern part of California, up around, you know, um, um, San Francisco, Oakland, that, that part that shakes a lot, right? That has a lot of earthquakes. That's right there on the San Andreas Fault. Don't you want to be built on a solid foundation to make sure that when things get shaky, that you have the best chance of that thing, that structure, standing. When you're building your life, don't you want it built on a solid rock foundation? Because I don't know about you, but I notice things are shaky today. Things that you, we used to think were rock solid in our culture are shaky. What's your basis? What's your foundation for your life? Are, are, you, are you placing you know, all of your hope, are you building on maybe the, the banking system being sound and secure and you think you'll be financially set because the banks are so solid? <laughs> are, 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 you, are, you, are you building up on, on religion because you were taught that, you know, if you go to church and do this and do that, if you go to the right church, if you're Catholic or if you're Baptist or if you're Methodist or fill in the blank with whatever denomination, so religion's no good as a foundation. Religion's man-made. God didn't give us religion. God gave us a relationship. Our banks are, well, you, you read the papers. The government, same thing. Anything that people build, people make, the foundation isn't solid, and if you build on that, you are on shaky ground. David depended on God as his foundation. He lived independence. Not independently, but in dependence on God for his rest, for his hope, for his strength and stability. And then David says in verse 6, He's my salvation. He's my salvation. Salvation is an interesting word that he chooses here. As I studied Psalm 62 and I did some reading and research about it, nobody's for sure exactly when that psalm was written. But most of the scholars that I read kind of agreed 
that it was probably written during a time when his son, Absalom, was in rebellion against him and trying to take over the kingdom from him, was out to literally kill King David. And David, hearing about this uprising, knowing what was coming, knowing that Absalom had a following and a little private army, as David had, all, had had earlier in his life, David said it was time to head for the hills. He, he took off. He grabbed his family, and they left the city. And so David, if he wrote this while he was on the run from his own son, and he's looking to God as his salvation, thinking about, you know, David, this master military mind, this guy who's fought lions and tigers and bears, oh my, this guy who has done the deal against all of the armies around him, who has succeeded in his military campaigns time and time again, instead of standing and fighting, depending on himself and his experiences, David lived in dependence on God for his salvation. I was reminded this week of a really interesting little two-point, I'll call it a proverb. It's not a proverb from the Bible. It's just a truth, kind of a pithy truth. There are two reasons that we need to depend on God. In fact, let's just break it down. There are two reasons that we need God. Two reasons that you and I need the Lord. Two reasons David needed the Lord. And it wasn't all about Absalom and the rebellion. It was about life in general. The reasons are this. Because you might die tonight. That's reason one. And reason number two is because you might live tomorrow. That's why you and I need the Lord. Because you might die tonight. I might die tonight. And we might live tomorrow. Either way, living in dependence on God is a critical factor in what happens in our experience. Think about Jeremiah 29, 11. God says he has a, a hope and a future for us. A hope and a future. Well, if I live tomorrow, don't I want a hope and a future? If I'm going to live tomorrow... Don't I want to be independence on God for my hope and for my future? Don't I want to depend on God for my rest? Or do I want to just run myself ragged? Do I want to have strength and stability from God to live this life? Because this life is challenging. Crazy happens in this life. Unstable happens in this life. Shakiness happens in this life. Worn out tiredness happens in this life. Hopelessness happens in this life life. And yet Jesus in John 10.10 10, said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. To the full. Not, not this run ragged, out of gas, unrested, shaky ground, hopeless life, but a full, rich, God-driven life. If you're going to live tomorrow, don't you want to live in dependence on God so you can live the full life that Jesus came for you to have? That God prepared for you when he thought of you before he created all of this? That God set you in a certain time in history, a certain place in geography, around certain people so you could live that full life out? 
and fulfill a purpose that he has for you. Don't you want that life? That life is found in dependence on God. What if you died tonight? Why would you need the Lord then? Why would you need the Lord if you died tonight? We understand maybe why if we're gonna live tomorrow, all these things that we've talked about, that would be God being our salvation from things in this life. If you died tonight, you want to know the Lord. You wanna be independence on God for your eternity because God created every one of us as eternal beings. See, we're not a, a, a body with a soul. You're a soul, an eternal being that has been blessed with a body. It's just a shell that we walk around in for a time. The Bible says we're like a mist or a vapor. Our time in this body is temporary, short term. Eternity is eternity. I can't quantify it for you. It's forever. And you're going to live forever. Your soul will live forever. And there are two not hook them horns, two destinations, two options for where and how your eternal soul will live. Option number one, you can dwell eternally separated from God without a hope, without a future, without a purpose, without a plan. You can live eternally separated from God. No joy, no peace, no rest. Eternally separated from God. No love. No stability. No nothing. No relationships. Nothing. Empty, void, sensory deprivation, horrible, alone existence. We call it hell. Option two. You can dwell eternally in a kingdom called heaven, in a life that is with God, without pain, with purpose, with a plan, with hope, with that eternal future, bright, beautiful, wonderful. You can live in reverence for Christ, in unity, harmony, community with God, with others. No pain, no hurting, no, no suffering, no crying, no tears. All the joy you can imagine every moment of every day. No challenges, no trials. Good stuff. Well, uh, I think I'll take door number one. No. I think every one of us, given those two options, standing on death's doorstep, would choose door number two. I think I'll dwell eternally with God. That's why you need the Lord. Because you might live tomorrow, but you might die tonight. Either way, you're going to live eternally, and your eternal destination depends on your dependence 
on God? Will you depend on God to solve your sin situation? Because sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what makes the choice for us when we stand at those two divergent doors. Your sin in your life, my sin in my life, separate us from God and your sin stained and so am I. You're going through your brain right now. You're cataloging all the things that you know that you do that are sins. If you're not, then you are now because I just said you were. So you're thinking about that, aren't you? You know you're a sinner. I am and I know you are. You know how I know? Because the Bible says so. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has a sin situation. Fast forward three chapters. Romans 6.23 promises, promises us. Say that fast. This. The payment, the wages for sin is death. Eternal death, that's the separation from God. It's the not living in eternity with him. It's the living in eternity without him. The wages of sin is death. You sin and I sin. We all deserve death, eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. We've earned it. It's payday. We're standing before two doors, and the choice has been made for us except except that God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to enter into door number one. And he has a solution for our sin problem. Check out, check out 2 Peter 3.9. God's desire for us is this, that, that he would be patient with us so that we will hopefully come to a point where we are independence on him because he doesn't want any one of us to perish but every one of us to repent to turn away from our sin and to turn towards him for what for salvation what david talked about god is my salvation i'm in dependence on god for salvation you and i are in dependence on god for salvation from our sin situation more accurately from the punishment, the payment for that sin situation that we're in. God doesn't want us to have to pay that price, and he loves us so much that John 3.16 tells us he sent Jesus, his son, to pay that price for us so we would not have to enter through door number one. Jesus came and lived on this earth a perfect life, sin-free, so that he could then die a sacrificial death for you and for me. A sacrificial death, paying our death penalty. Because when he was crucified on the cross, he took your sins and my sins with him. He cried out in a moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, your sin and mine pierced his body. Took, he took it on. And because of that, and his resurrection three days later, we have freedom from that sin. We have freedom from the death that had a claim on our lives. You have an opportunity to make a choice today. A choice to be the rugged individualist, the independent operator, the man or the woman who is totally dependent 
upon themselves, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, to handle every scenario and situation that comes down the pike, to try to provide your own rest, to try to provide your own hope, to try to provide your own strength and stability, and to try to save yourself from yourself. King David told us we can't do it. Jesus told us we can't do it. Throughout history, no human being has been able to do it. Only Jesus could save himself from eternal separation, death. Only Jesus could resurrect himself and you from that death that we deserve. He's offering it to you today. Will you choose to be the independent operator or will you choose to find salvation for this life and for eternity in Christ? Will you live independence? Let's pray. God, this morning, you have shared a message that might be countercultural to a lot of our thinking, counterintuitive to how we live and operate. It's a message of, of dependence, not independence. And as we're about to celebrate Independence Day, we are confronted with all of the, the things that we think about independence, the ways that we live independence out. We, we, as a culture, seek to be independent operators, and yet your word teaches us that we need to live not independent, but in dependence. God, I believe there are many here this morning who are independent operators, some who already know you, some who are in a relationship with you, who have entered into your salvation, but have slipped back into old habits, pursuing independence instead of living in dependence. God, I pray this morning that you would give them a wake-up call, that you would nudge them, poke them, shout at them if that's what it takes to wake their hearts and their heads up and see how independently they're operating and to repent of that independence and live in dependence on you. Others this morning, God, I know are sitting here hearing about all of this, and they identify themselves maybe with David or one of those crab boat captains or some mountain man or some independent operator, SEAL Team 6 type of guy or girl. They know they're living outside of your plan, your will for their lives. And they know that they need you. They need to have a relationship with you. They need to pursue salvation through you because they might die tonight and they might live tomorrow. And they're sitting there right now wondering how to do that. If that's you this morning, here's how you do it. You believe to the best of your ability. You have the most faith that you can that Jesus really is the source that you should be dependent on, the one that you can have rest in, the one that 
you can have hope through, the one who can provide stability and strength in your life, and the one who lived perfectly and died sacrificially for your salvation. He took the punishment for you. If you believe that this morning and will confess that in prayer and ask to receive the gift of salvation God desires for you, he will give it just like that. Here's how you pray. God, I believe, I believe that you are my salvation, that you sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin, and I know that I sin. I know that I mess up. And I know that my sin separates me from you, both in this life and in eternity. And God, I want to be in a relationship with you, not separated from you. I want you to be my leader, my guide, my salvation, my rock, my refuge. Will you come into my life, into my heart, and save me from the punishment, the payment of my sin? Give me life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, this morning for moving in our hearts, for speaking to us about dependence on you. And Lord, we do thank you for the independence of our nation, not independence from you, but independence for you, independence because of you, independent not from you, but from other countries, from other leaders, rulers, and influences, independent because you gave us 56 faithful men, many of whom believed fervently in your promises and who wove them into that declaration and the Constitution and all of the founding documents and the principles that this nation was built on. God, we ask you this morning, Bless us as individuals. Bless us as your church. And God bless America, a nation that can stand for you. Would you stand, Father, in us and in our leaders so that we can be in dependence and independent. In Jesus' name, amen.